after obviously given some events that took place in Europe and and across the board um, sovereignty defense I think is is still one topic I think uh, space economy is expanding at the same time government remain at the forefront of many decisions some regulatory that look more at sustainability but otherwise I would say uh, government spending topped a record of around $100 billion globally and defense there has been the fastest growing sub-segment into it. From the Defense and Aerospace Report, this is The Downlink, a podcast about the intersection of space, the space business and defense, not just what's over the horizon, but what's happening above it. I'm your host, Laura Winter. Hello, and welcome to 2023. We're kicking off the year with a very broad look at commercial space, the state of the space economy, you know, the capital markets, both public and private, what space-minded investors are looking for, and what strategies space companies may need to employ if they want to blunt the bear market from eating away at value. And speaking of value, let's quickly consider the NASDAQ. It's the second largest stock exchange by capitalization in the world. It's what market analysts call tech-heavy, and it's the place where most publicly traded space companies are listed. It ended 2022 with its first four-quarter slide since the dot-com crash two decades ago. It hemorrhaged a third of its value, and so did some space companies. Take Momentus. It's an aspiring in-space transportation company. Its 52-week high is $4.74. It closed out the year trading in pennies, and it wasn't alone. Astra offers launch brokerage services and manufactures satellite thrusters. Its 52-week high was above $7, and now it's being traded for under half a dollar. No one is sure if we are in a recession or heading to one, and that's confusing in and of itself because the U.S. Labor Department says non-farm payrolls added 223,000 jobs in December, beating forecasts, and that's caused the unemployment rate to fall by a basis point from 3.6% in November to 3.5% in December, and that is definitively not a sign of recession. But we all know that securing investment capital to grow businesses is a much more expensive endeavor since, well, March, and that's when the Federal Reserve began its campaign to fight inflation with interest rate hikes. Before the new year, the Fed raised its benchmark rate to a 15-year high to 4.5%. So no matter who you are, how do you mentally approach this year? What do we need to know? And for that, I have a stellar lineup of four space capital, space economy, and commercial space strategy experts. But before we hear from them, I just want to make one thing clear. There's an acronym that they're going to use. It's EO. And EO stands for Earth Observation. Now here's our conversation. Hello, welcome, and thank you for joining me today. Hi, Laura. Pleasure to be with you. Happy to be here. Hi, Laura. Before we start digging into what should be a very meaty discussion, let's give the audience the opportunity to get to know who each of you are, where you are, and the organizations you represent. Let's start with a familiar voice. Chris, you should go first. 
Great. Uh, thank you, Laura. My name is Chris Quilty. I am one of the co-founders of Quilty Analytics. We're headquartered down in St. Petersburg, Florida. Uh, my background, I come with 20 years as a Wall Street sell-side research analyst. Uh, started Quilty Analytics back in 2016 with an exclusive focus on the satellite and space industry. So we cover the industry holistically. Uh, from ground equipment to launch and satellite manufacturing, but our real uh, expertise that we bring uh, to the uh, to the industry here is our view on our view as uh, people with a lot of experience in finance. And now, while many in Europe's commercial space industry know you and your organization, Pakom, please take a moment and introduce yourself and Euroconsult. Sure. Thanks, Laura. So I'm uh, Pakom Revian. I'm uh, I'm happy to report I'm I've been the CEO of uh, the Euroconsult Group for the more than than 15 years. Um, and uh, well, Euroconsult as an organization is is a global consulting firm supporting both government and and commercial space stakeholders uh, really on a global basis, providing both strategy and and technology consulting and a price of the services. And uh, having clients and partners in in over sixty countries uh, around the world. And Ryan, take a moment and tell us about yourself. Great. Well, uh, thanks thanks for having me on, Laura. My name is uh, Ryan Burkhardt. I'm a senior partner with uh, with McKinsey and Company, which is a global uh, management consultancy. And uh, I uh, am currently in Fort Lauderdale, just north of our Miami office, on the opposite coast from Chris over there. I think we're all uh, enjoying the sunny weather this time of year. Um, I started my career uh, as an Air Force officer, and uh, here at McKinsey, um, I helped to lead our space practice, which has been a real area of focus for us as we help uh, everyone from uh, large uh, companies to disruptors to investors uh, to the public sector think about uh, you know space and, uh, and many other topics. So thank you again for having me on. And George, I'm so glad that you've been able to join us. Sure. My name is George Pullen. I'm the chief space economist for Milky Way Economy. We are a fifth industrial revolution think tank. Uh, we specialize in educational services, advisories, and we also make uh, strategic investments into small and medium-sized space companies. Uh, we're based out of DC, but we also have offices in Maine, Texas, and Florida. Um, if that seems like a weird smattering of locations, it's because that's where either me or my partners uh, have actual houses. So <laughs> um, we, we we love <laughs> we we love what we do in uh, this sector. We believe that the uh, space economy will be the fifth industrial revolution. We think that this will be the change that not only brings us to the stars, but also brings the benefit of space technologies, uh, not just for getting us up and out, but also bring those benefits down and around for all of us Earthlings to enjoy. Okay, now let's get to the discussion. You know, it's arguable, but perhaps the best way to set us up for talking about 2023 and commercial space is to first take a look back at 2022. And if you could pick just one thing that happened last year in commercial space, the capital markets, investors, or something completely different that is shaping this year, Chris, what would that be and why is it important for our listeners to understand it? Uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll go with something completely different uh, for this year. I mean, we've seen a lot of uh, tectonic changes over the past five years from you know, reductions in launch costs to shifts to LEO constellations and digital payloads and government activity and 
there's like a lot to choose from. But to me, the kind of the story of the year in 2022 was the emergence of direct to device, which uh, just to, to define it, it's the idea of connecting directly from a satellite system to a consumer grade handset. Uh, that was something that uh, up until this year, you had a couple of companies, most notably AST, Space Mobile, and Link, uh, that were sort of startups promoting this concept. But man, it went big time in 2022. You had the, the big headline announcement with SpaceX and, and T-Mobile teaming up with a capability on their Gen 2 satellites. Uh, you had the announcement from Apple and uh, Global Star. And for that matter, I mean, I, I think I've documented a dozen other announcements uh, from handset manufacturers and operators. And I mean, it's just, it, it really came out of nowhere. And I think the reason it's important, uh, not just that it's newsworthy, is if these companies are successful in what they're going to do, I mean, it creates a multi-potential, multi-billion dollar new revenue stream for the industry. A, which is important, but B, there could also be some knockoff implications for existing industry players, whether it's, you know, traditional terrestrial MNOs who could be hurt or helped. It could be equipment manufacturers. It could be, you know, service providers in the industry. And, and a lot of that, you know, we're, we're actually working on a report on that, but uh, I think there's some pretty interesting implications that that we'll see play out in 23 and beyond. And Paco? Essentially, it's the same question to you, um, because I'm wondering, is the view from Europe different? Well, you, we are not just, you know, looking at the European market. And I would say I, I would definitely concur with Chris on some of the values, trends and, and you know, those tectonic changes. So um, I, I may keep some comments for to, to later, obviously, given some events that took place in Europe and and across the board, um, sovereignty defense, I think, is, is still one topic, I think. Uh, space economy is expanding. At the same time, government remain at the forefront of many decisions. Some regulatory that look more at sustainability, but otherwise, I would say uh, government spending topped a record of around $100 billion globally, and defense there has been the fastest growing sub-segment into it. And in Europe, one consideration would be the willingness to develop a global uh, constellation for secured connectivity, other initiatives that's taking place around the world, but really it's, it's been kind of a shift and, and further acceleration that last year around all everything related to security, I think. And Ryan and George, this next question is really for you, but it's got a bit of a lead in. You know, for at least two quarters now, every other day, so-and-so is predicting a recession and it's been going on for months. On Sunday, CBS aired an interview with the International Monetary Fund's Managing Director, Kristalina Georgieva. She's expecting a third of the world's economies to be in recession within the next 12 months. And she believes the economies of the spacefaring, that's the US, the EU, and China, that their economies are slowing down. And in all fairness, not everyone super smart about this stuff agrees. The legendary David Roche thinks the world has narrowly escaped recession, but that we're nowhere near a bull market. Of course, we know this affects the space economy. So George and Ryan, I want you to take this on, you know, if we were to take the space economy on its own and for the next year, is it heading towards recession? Is it already there? Or is it growing despite the toughening capital markets? I mean, if you look at some of the publicly traded companies, they've lost roughly a third of their value, sometimes more. 
But yet there's a steady stream of investment and contract announcements. You know, George, start us off. So I think the first thing is if we look at what we saw in 2022, we saw uh, SpaceWorks, for example, give out something like 125 different orbital prime contracts. Okay. Um, I use that as an indicator of the amount of interest that SpaceWorks, as its operations relating back to support of Space Force, is interested in the space sector and how much they're willing to uh, put their dollars uh, where the innovation is, which is in small, medium-sized businesses. So if we look at that, that's a really good indication that we're going to continue to see participation um, from the largest check writer. If we think about the overall size of space economic activity, uh, we can see about 100 billion, that's a B, $100 billion worth of space economic activity and spending. Out of that $100 billion of space economic activity and spending from governments, 55 billion of it is the United States. And so when we see DOD related agencies and uh, proxies like SpaceWorks making these types of investments, I think that's a good sign that we're going to continue to see uh, a large amount of activity, um, despite whatever might be happening in the overall market, which I'm going to avoid that part of the question. <laughs> Cute. <laughs> I'll remember that. And and Ryan, you know, how is this affecting the thinking in the C-suite? Are companies reevaluating their strategies? Well, I I think it's interesting because I, I I first of all I totally agree with with George. I, I would actually frame the last year as a bit of an acceleration of the need to show me in air quotes, right? Um, you know, I think we saw a lot of investment, you know, three four, you know, anywhere between one and three years ago, uh, in a lot of places that uh, you know, frankly, has not borne out in the time frames that investors are now looking for, right? I think before we expected some of that you know, kind of, you must show me the uh, scalability of your technology, or you must show me the revenue. I think there was an expectation that, you know, that was in, you know, 2023, 2024. And I think that's really been pulled to the left, whether that sentiment results in a real recession or not, is definitely weighing on investors. Now, what that's created is a really interesting environment where, you know, to George's point, we're still seeing, um, you know, opportunity, whether it's from investors, whether it's from customers, uh, but they're going to be more selective, right? And we're already we're already seeing that. You know, some folks are going to be successful in raising capital going forward, and some and some folks are frankly not. And uh, what's been interesting is that that is really uh, a lot of that destiny is being controlled by these companies and and these uh, uh, you know these individuals themselves and their ability to do that, whether it's to 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 scale or to capture. So it's a really interesting time. This next bit is a two-parter and please try to be a little efficient so I can get to everyone. But as all of you talk to or work with investors who put their capital into space companies of all shapes and sizes, and all of you talk to or consult space companies, first, what is the investor mood or their outlook for 2023? And is it the same across all the various space verticals? This is open to all of you, but Pacom, why don't you kick this off? Uh, easy one. Um, <laughs> well, um, no, I, I would try. say I, I, may, I may just uh, rebound on Ryan's comment, which is about being selective. I think, um, you know, we, we may talk about the economic mood and certainly it plays a role in terms of, of capital availability, but it's also a matter of the cycle of that innovation, uh, industrial revolution in space. Many of the companies' concepts have been here for five years, seven years, maybe many of them have raised capital. 
And the question might be more about differentiation and demonstrating that you are about to create value. And I think that that could be something that investors will pay attention to. Another dimension that I could expect is on the flip side that as capital is more difficult to get, there could also be some companies facing some trouble and we could also see some strategic investors or other players coming in to take advantage of certain capabilities or companies whose valuation may be lower maybe than than in the last couple of years. So we could also see a, a change or, or some new investors coming into play or some of the, and, you know, I would expect the MA stream to remain pretty strong this year and, and the next one. And Chris, you know, I'm coming to you. What do you think? Yeah, like I, I hate to diss 2023, like, because it just started, but it, it's feeling like kind of a weird year. I mean, unfortunately, when you, you think about capital cycles, maybe the best example is, uh, you know, Space Mountain at Disney World. Like, you all know you're on a roller coaster, you know, it's going to go down. But like, even though you know what happens, like you can legitimately say, because the lights are out, like when the plunge happens, you're like, oh, crap, I never saw it coming. But it feels like we're going into 2023 with the lights on in in Space Mountain, and everybody knows there's going to be a recession or assumes there's going to be a recession. And it just, it really, it kind of changes the dynamics of how the market thinks about things because the markets are forward looking. And if we already know a recession is going to happen, well, maybe it's time to start getting excited about the recovery that's going to happen afterwards. Um, but but that timing schedule kind of shifts at all times. And, and you know, coming out of 2022, you had a year where there were like these huge uh, victories, you know, SpaceX uh, launching 61 times a year, which is, you know, more than the U.S. had done, you know, for decades uh, as a country. And, uh, you know, the, the tremendous successes in Ukraine. And yet last year, we also saw lots of companies that had predicted launching dozens of times a year, uh, you know, delaying their, their maiden launch and scaling down their forecasts. You had companies that were going to build massive satellite manufacturing factories that have either, you know, shelved or delayed their production. So it, it's kind of a mixed bag. And, you know, I'm biased since I'm like focused on the finance industry. But, you know, I think a lot of what will play out in 2023 will be dependent on how the capital markets react. And obviously, the space industry has become increasingly dependent on venture capital, you know, as a source of funding. Um, we had our brief, uh, you know, day in the sun with with SPACs, uh, which have their own their own story to tell, right? But that was, you know, call uh, five billion dollars of capital that flowed into the industry. Uh, not looking for that to happen again anytime soon. Um, but you know, depending upon how the public equity markets play out, will impact the private equity and the venture capital and everything else. So. Yeah, there's going to be failures. We've always known there's going to be failures. We may see some shifts in investments, which were heavily into launch over the last couple of years, start to shift towards constellations that will use those launch vehicles. Um, but I, I don't have any hard predictions this year, other than if I made any predictions, they would be wrong. Thank you, Chris. 
And Ryan, I know you have a view on this, but humor me for a moment, as I know that you've been writing a bit more deeply about this. You know, what do companies need to do to weather what's obviously a bear market at the very least and a possible recession? You recently published a paper that starts off by saying companies need to employ a disruptor mindset. You know, what does that really mean and and how does it get employed in this environment? Yeah, I, I I think a couple of things there. You know, number one, and there's you know sort of volumes of McKinsey research, which uh, 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 I'm, I'm sure if I had the exact numbers on my head, it would be really interesting. But at the end of the day, what it says is that you know investing in the you know in the through cycle or investing in these down cycles is really important. And it actually is an important is is a real differentiator and sorting out the winners and the losers, right, long term from a value creation perspective. And so, so I do think, you know, this is, you know, space is not some, you know, short term, you know, it's, it's not going to go anywhere type, you know, endeavor, right, it is a, it is a domain that we are going to explore, and we are going to work and live in and is going to have benefit to George's earlier point, not just uh, space for space, but also space for Earth. So I think, you know, what you got to do is you got to look at that. And you got to say, I need to invest in the, you know, in the through cycle. I think the second thing is the reason we talk about having a disruptor mindset is simply because, you know, you know, that has what has separated the winners from the losers in this, uh, you know, in this last sort of, you know, five to 10 year time period of, of uh, you know, the current landscape across the space industrial base and across the, you know, kind of the space landscape is those that have been technologically disruptive. Yes, of course, that's important. But those that have used capital efficiently, that have been organizationally and operationally disruptive, you know, those, those, and, it, and by the way, I think we often go to some of the, the names that have been mentioned here, but I do think we're seeing that disruption occur in sort of some of the, the, the quote unquote legacy space players and, uh, you know, maybe not in and of themselves, but in the way that they've partnered with others. So, so I do think, you know, if you take that long-term view, if you take, you know, that, that the research says you should invest long-term, what we're telling you know, folks that that we're in and around is to is to really think about that. And I I love what Pacom said is that, you know, there is, people are going to be judicious, right? They are going to, you know, I think the money was flowing pretty freely in a lot of sectors, not just space. And I think people are going to be much more judicious going forward. But the long term excitement is there. And and the other piece of that is, you know, that we're talking about space companies and those in the space industry. But the other question is, is how do we uh, uh, shift from a government only or, you know, a largely government only, you know, focus to some of these commercial technologies? And that's going to require, you know, the energy utilities out there. It's going to require the agriculture companies. It's going to require some of these companies that have that think space. I don't need to think about that. That doesn't matter. Yeah. If you take that through cycle mindset, it is going to matter to some of these folks. And some of those applications have not even been really thought about. Uh, certainly scaled or even experimented upon. So I think this whole space for Earth and what could it really mean beyond some of the obvious applications that we often talk about, you know, imagery and, and communications and internet for everybody, those are going to take a longer period of time. But, you know, think about the internet, you know, 30 years ago. It's that experimentation today that's going to, you know, emerge uh, in, into large, you know, value driving uh, uh, use cases in all these other non-space industries. And Pakum? You've spoken to me about the intersection of demand dynamics and industry organization. How is this market pushing companies and the industry to evolve, say like Maxar or the companies vying for a piece of Italy's iRide project? Well, I, I think um, 
uh, and first concurring with Ryan, in, in the long-term opportunity or, or in space activities, many of them have multi-year cycles, obviously, and, and there's a, a pretty high level of resilience, I must say. Obviously, each organization is in a slightly different position, but space activity is easier for the long-term, and that's the way you tend to think of it. That being said, and coming back to one of the first comments from Chris, I think uh, the digital transformation of the space activities at large is, is still uh, playing a big role together with those disruptors. And actually, many organizations have to deeply transform themselves, including the incumbent, to change whether they're just infrastructure operator or manufacturers or actually service companies what kind of solutions they deliver to third parties, how, and always which kind of partners, such as obviously um, uh, cloud providers, but also others. So in terms of demand, I think demand is there uh, on the basis that space solutions are becoming more and more efficient. Uh, we still have a lot of work to do, certainly to uh, make this demand, including from utilities or others that Ryan mentioned, to, to make it a reality and monetize actually what space can deliver um, but this uh, really requires each organization to to reinvent itself to a large extent that's really what is at, at play at the moment for many of them um, you were a satellite operator looking at a 10 billion market in connectivity but okay the service market maybe a 100 billion market so a large part of your value is how you unlock that and how you change the position or the field that you play in as, as a space company. Um, and, and to me, that's, that's one of the big drivers and considerations for all the companies that they tend to weather. And talking about Maxar, it used to be a combination of one EO company, one space manufacturer coming together. Uh, some organizations that used to be connectivity only start to get into uh, remote sensing as well. Um, they put together um, uh, service subsidiaries or they may acquire capabilities that they don't have through MA. So it's all that restructuring of the industry that should continue to take place. Uh, and I would say in the US, in Europe, and, and pretty much uh, around the world. And let me ask you this though why is Maxar you know, delisting itself and going private? Is that basically battening down the hatches for what they foresee or are, are rough seas ahead? Well, I mean, it's it, for, for space organizations, there's been a consideration. I think you, you alluded to the fact that the um, public market has not been such a great experience for quite some space businesses. And, and as companies need to also pivot, uh, reposition themselves, transform some of their activities, it can be a multi-year approach and being acquired by uh, private shareholders may give them, honestly, depending on where they stand, more flexibility in, in you know, pushing their agenda or considering combination transactions with third parties, etc. So there is obviously benefits in being in, in the public um, markets, but being out by, you know, private PE funds uh, can also be a way to... Um, facilitate transformation and be more proactive or facilitate your ability to, to organize transactions. And uh, to a certain extent, if you look at an operator like in Marsat that got private and acquired by uh, private equity firms like um, two, three years ago, it's it's in the following years that they announced their um, acquisition or merger with, with the Viasat group. So I would say uh, 
delisting per se can be a strategic move. It, it may not give a sign that I don't know whether it would be better or not, uh, but it may be more appropriate at certain point in time for, for each space uh, business. Yeah, if this is Chris, if I could just add, I mean, I think it's always been my assumption that uh, Macs are just given their strategic complexity and and I've written publicly, I mean, like nobody, no investment banker, like would ever put these two pieces together, a satellite manufacturer and an EO operator, right? That was a, the outcome of a series of transactions. And so it was sort of an unusual creature. They were highly levered, which is preventing them from investing in the company. And it was always kind of a private equity takeout bait um, and, and a, or a strategic investor, but there were problems with strategic investors. So I don't think it was, to me, it wasn't a surprise per se. Um, the timing was a surprise and perhaps the buyer in Advent, which is you know, a private equity firm that has not been particularly active in the aerospace defense, much less the space arena. And you know, why now, why Advent, why that multiple? Um, you know, we'll find out more over time, but uh, in, in aggregate, I would say, look, I mean, this is a positive outcome for the industry. Certainly, if you were a Maxar shareholder, you were pretty happy. Um, you know, you hate to see situations, which we do see happen, where companies are taken over by private equity firms or other financial actors and they destroy the company. Uh, but this is one where Maxar was already leveraged, you know, was leveraged to the hilt. And if anything, I, I assume Advent will move them in the opposite direction and provide them more access to capital. So uh, hopefully a good news story uh, going into 2023. Just, just one thing there. So I think also if you look at the overall market, we should expect to see more of this, right? So lower corporate valuations just make the PE space more attractive. It makes going private more attractive. And we're talking about companies that have longer term time horizons for whether it's technology development or the opening up of new markets. Um, it really does make good sense. I also think we'll see more activity from private equity firms and this like because of the, uh, the cost comparables on their capital, right? So if we look at some of the recent announcements that have come out from uh, the BlackRock Real Estate Trust, what they do at the University of California, they're locking each other up uh, or the University of California, rather, is locking themselves up with $4 billion for the next, I think, six or seven years uh, on a guarantee of eight and a quarter percent or something like that. Uh, that's a very attractive return or would have been considered a very attractive return um, earlier in my days <laughs> of, of being an investor. Um, but the fact that we have major players like uh, BlackRock and the University of California locking up billions of dollars just on the hopes and promises of an 8% return, that tells you something about what people see, not just what 2023 might look like, but also the next couple of years might look like with um, slower economic growth or potentially uh, greater uh, inflation periods. So as I am so sorry to say that we are running out of time, but it would be awful if I wasn't able to at least get your ideas on 2023. So this is going to be a bit of a lightning round. Sorry, but what is your prediction for the space economy or for capital or for the commercial space industry in 2023? And Ryan, you start. I think 2023 is going to be uh, in a, a very interesting year. Uh, and I know that's sort of a throwaway statement, but unfortunately, it's I think it's true, right? Which is, you know, 
I think that the winners and losers are going to get sorted. I think that capital is going to continue to flow. I like the comments that were made there, but selectively. And perhaps more importantly, I think more people are going to get excited about space and what it can do for them and their businesses and and not just businesses, by the way, for what they can do, what, what space can do for their individual countries, what they can do from nonprofits. I think that excitement is really going to continue to spike. And I think that all of the investors uh, and and the industrial landscape is going to adapt to meet that. So I think it's going to be a super exciting year. And George, you're up. All right. I think we've seen uh, the commoditization of launch. I think we've now we've also seen the commoditization of satellites. I think the next thing we see um, before we get to service, I think, is the commoditization of launch combined with satellite, which is really um, space heritage. So how do we do that? We have platforms. There are many of them out there. Uh, Deorbit has one. Sierra has one. A lot of folks are participating in this market right now where more people can gain their space heritage quicker. So that as a service is going to really open up, I think, th this year in 2023 and also next year. I think they'll provide a lot of growth. Um, the other mega trend I think we'll see in 2023 really take root, but also pay some dividends, is the intersection point between ESG and space. I think a lot of conversations are happening on that right now. I think that leads to both more payments and services around space debris, but I also think that leads to more services around uh, geospatial informatics and big data for tracking of ESG. And that all comes, of course, from space companies. Those are my two. Thanks. And Pakom, what's your prediction? Uh, well, I, I think um, uh, ecosystem reorganization will continue to, to be pretty dynamic as companies adapt and, and I would say, uh, you know, a flow of m is happening in the industry. But I think one also one thing I, I find key for the space economy is that uh, many of the startups, the constellations, some of the players that have been working on, on programs for quite some years, a number of them are, are really coming into, uh, into space, you know, and turning into actual services. Some of them already had assets last year, but really even thinking, you know, of a Starlink or a OneWeb or, or an SCS with an Empower, many of those programs are actually will become fully operational. And in terms of demonstrating what space can bring and then having a kind of a rolling effect on development of the space economies in the years to follow, the fact to have that breadth of new generation space capabilities getting into the real world and, and signing clients and, and, you know, generating revenues and so forth will be an important milestone in, in terms of the space industry development. And finally, Chris, bookend this for us. Yeah, so I said earlier I wasn't going to make predictions, so uh, you're holding my feet to the fire. But what I would say is maybe this isn't a prediction as much as a hope, which is like I'm sick of going to dinner parties and people go, space? What the hell is that? What do you do? And what I've noticed is it's changed a lot in the last several years. And I have this sort of crappy metric I use, but I think it's pretty accurate, which is called the NASA t-shirt metric, where increasingly, and regardless of where I travel, I see like more people wearing NASA t-shirts, which tells me that like space is starting to get cool. So we can talk about, a direct device would be pretty cool, right? Because it actually impacts people. But most of the stuff that we focus on, you know, whether it's planetary science or communications, ah, it's just communications, people don't get excited about. I think 2023 could be the year where you see a little bit of a breakout in what I'll call, you know, the cislunar or here we can follow, we can have an argument over nomenclature, you know, ex-geo. 
which is to say things happening, you know, outside of the Leo geo orbit, uh, or even things within the orbit that, you know, are bringing something other than data back to earth. There's companies building, uh, you know, I think eight by my latest count that are building um, uh, space stations. Uh, there's companies this year that will launch, build products in space and bring them back to earth. Uh, you've got missions that are hitting the moon uh, and businesses, you know, lunar business models that are getting funded. Um, all that stuff gets a little tenuous in this kind of an economic environment where funding becomes, you know, a little bit more challenging. And so I have concerns, but I also have some hopes. I mean, you see a lot of people getting excited about the industry and that stuff's really cool, right? I mean, I'm, I got lots of IOT companies and SAR companies I'm excited about, but if you actually see some of that stuff starting to happen, people being able to purchase a product that was built in space that, that has meaning, it's not just a trinket. Uh, then I think that's where it starts to change behaviors and it becomes a self-fulfilling, you know, funding cycle for the industry itself. But Chris, I can tell you that uh, our astronaut in France, Thomas Pesquet, was the third favorite French person as voted by the population last year. So he tells that space is getting uh, mainstream. So if you want to get a rock star uh, being an astronaut, it's not a bad thing those days. Yeah. And he was wearing a NASA t-shirt, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, gentlemen. And I hope to have you all back on soon. Thanks again. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Laura. That's it for this week. If you like what you're hearing, follow the downlink on Twitter and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. For the latest defense news and analysis, listen to the Daily Defense and Aerospace Report podcast hosted by Vago Maradian and listen to Cavish Ships to hear the latest on what's happening in the maritime domain. I'm Laura Winter, and thank you for listening.